passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxis. If you're new, uh, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors, and I've been filling in for, for Jordan while he is on sabbatical. Don't worry, he is coming back soon. August 21st, he returns. It's sort of like Santa's coming for you know, Christmas. Uh, I get to look forward to that. Um, but just to let you know, I have just been so thankful that I have had the privilege of being able to fill the pulpit for him down here. It's been wonderful spending time with you guys. I wish it was always in person. Sometimes it had to be with video, but this has been a real privilege to be with you. And I want you to know I love you guys, and I'm just so grateful for what God is doing in this campus. Now, this summer, we've been studying this topic of what does the Bible say, and we've been looking at a variety of topics. This morning, we're going to look at what does the Bible say about transgender. This is a big topic. This is a very relevant topic. Uh, this is in the front of our culture right now. And I, I'll be honest, I'm going to tell you right up front that I do have a lot to say. So uh, don't say, oh, bummer, the sermon goes long. This is one time you're getting more for your money. You know, everything else, the packages is getting smaller. This one is getting bigger because this is a very important topic. So we're going to cover it this way. First, I'm going to look at transgender, the state of that movement in our culture. We're also going to look at what does the Bible say about that particular topic. Then we're going to look at some of the scientific argumentation that people put forward in that movement, trying to justify it. And finally, when we come to the end, we're just going to look at some pastoral thoughts of how we can reach these people who desperately need Jesus Christ. Because that's really what it boils down to, folks. We need to be able to reach this group of folks with the good news of Jesus. Because that's the only way that we can be saved. That's the only way they can be saved. So let's begin here on, on the top. We're going to jump right in. What is the transgender movement? While the transgender movement in America actually has its roots in the 1960s and 70s, it's really been the last 10 years that it has been completely accelerated. Uh, let me show you how it's come to the forefront of our culture. Let's start with by looking at the media. We can see the transgender movement has been encouraged by Hollywood. It really started to come to the forefront around the year 2014. Uh, some of you who are Netflix people may remember in 2014 there was a television miniseries that was very popular called The Orange, Orange is the New Black. It was a story about a transgender prisoner, a man who was sort of saw himself as a woman who was in prison. And it was a very popular series at that time. Laverne Cox played that role. And um, as a result of the popularity of that series, Laverne Cox actually landed on the cover of Time magazine. Now, Laverne Cox didn't just play the role of a, a man who thought you, who thinks that they're a woman in prison, but Laverne Cox is legitimately a transgender man who is portraying himself as a woman. You can go ahead and put Laverne Cox up there. She's coming. He's coming. That, that's him. Her. Um, and it was very popular. And as a result, this person didn't just end up on the cover of Time magazine, but Glamour magazine actually named him, her, uh, the Woman of the Year. Now, the Chicago Sun-Times published an article sort of pointing out that the Woman of the Year is actually a biological male. And there was a huge amount of pushback 
in the Chicago, against the Chicago Sun-Times. In fact, the Chicago Sun-Times retracted the article and even apologized for the article. Move a year later. That's when you have Bruce Jenner. Bruce Jenner, uh, you know, the Olympic decathlete, uh, sort of coming out of the closet in the Barbara Walters interview and saying, I'm actually a, a woman. Call me Caitlyn. And guess what Caitlyn Jenner was awarded by Glamour magazine? Once again, the Woman of the Year Award. If you're counting, that's the second time in two years that a biological man was actually given a Woman of the Year Award. You see how Hollywood is pushing it and celebrating this in our culture? And then you move forward. I'm just going to jump over a bunch of stuff. Let's move up to our current day uh, where you have Rachel Levine, who is actually a biological man, was put in the Department of, um, if I get this right, Assistant Secretary of Health by uh, our president. And Rachel Levine is actually a biological man. And guess what Rachel Levine was given? The Woman of the Year Award, this time by USA Today. So you can see that Hollywood is really celebrating those people who are transgender, you know, men who are portraying themselves as women, and also women who are portraying themselves as, as men. They're trying to make them our cultural heroes, making it the topic of our conversation. Now, let's move on to the other topic here, which is the transgender movement is being actually codified into law now by our government. You may not realize many of these things. In 2016, the Obama administration, the Department of Education, at that time mandated that full access to um, bathroom and locker rooms facilities should be given to a person not based on their biological gender, but the gender which with they have chosen to identify with. So as of 2016, it's the law that if a man identifies as a woman, uh, he, she has full rights to a woman's locker room and shower facilities in our school systems. Now, um, New York City, I don't know if you realize this, has actually put into effect a law that if you intentionally misgender somebody, you can be now fined up to a quarter million dollars for not respecting their chosen gender. Uh, in California, in 2017, they put into effect a law that in the medical community, if you don't use someone's chosen gender, you can actually go to jail for it if you're not respecting their chosen gender, but you're re choosing to refer them to them strictly by their biological gender. Now, it gets even more interesting to understand this in our culture. Uh, the NAE, which is the National Association of Education, which is the largest teacher uni union out there, uh, they worked with um, LGBTQ activists to develop a document called Schools in Transition. And the NAE has given that to schools to guide them on how they are to handle transgender students in the school system. Let me tell you what some of these uh, things say in the, in the schools in transition document. Like, number one, uh, children are to be given full access to the gender-based facilities based on their chosen gender, not on their biological gender. That's showers, that's locker room, all of it. And 
if, uh, oh, by the way, parents and students are to be given no prior warning that a transgender man will be in a woman's locker room, according to that document. In addition, if uh, biological women do not like that, and they say that we do not want a biological man in our uh, locker room, what they are to be told is that biological man is actually a woman because they've chosen that as their gender. And if women still complain, what they are to be done is they are to be um, given a special restroom facility where the ones who complain can there be separated, separated and by themselves. But the document clearly says that in under no conditions should the transgender man be removed from the woman's locker room and shower facilities. You're like, are you serious? You want some evidence? July 22nd, or July 27th, excuse me, I think it is, of 2022 this year. Did you see the interview with Riley Gaines? Riley Gaines was the swimmer, he swam from Kentucky, the fastest woman swimmer in the NCAA competed against Leah Thomas, as you know, as a transgender man who identifies as a woman and is competing in the women's NCAA swim finals. And in that interview, it was not just she talked, Riley didn't talk about just the fact that she had to compete against someone who until just recently was a full-fledged biological man and the challenges of competing that way. But Leah Thomas was in the women's locker room and using the women's showers and facilities after and during the meet because that is what the document for the National Education of Association prescribes as the proper way to treat transgender students. Now, I begin with some of these things because I want you to realize that the transgender movement is an extremely powerful movement in our culture. Folks, it is not going away. We can choose to ignore it all we want, put our heads in the sand. It's not going to do us any good. We have to know what this movement believes. We have to know what it's trying to teach our children. We have to know how to protect our children from the false lies that are being told to them. And we have to know how to reach these people with Jesus Christ. Because, folks... They are sinners in desperate need of a Savior, just as we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And Jesus is the only hope for them, as He's the only hope for us. So I wanted you to understand the, the significance of where this is at in our government, and how it's being codified into law, and where it's, how it's being portrayed in Hollywood, and how these are our heroes, or at least cultural heroes for many people. So let's continue in our study. How many people are transgender? It really depends on what study you look at. The numbers are wildly different. One study uh, that was in Sweden claimed that transgender males are between one in every 12 and one in every 20,000 men. Uh, another study in Europe I ran across says transgender males are between one in every 50,000 men. Probably the most liberal study I ran across was from the UCL UCLA which says that transgender men and women in our culture comprise 0.06% of our population, which, quite honestly, is not a large group of people, but it is a very vocal group of people that has brought this conversation to the forefront of our society. Now, how does the transgender movement think, and how do they speak? 
if we're going to be good missionaries to this group of people, we have to know how they think. We have to understand their language, because isn't that what a missionary does when they go into a culture? They have to understand how that culture thinks. They have to understand the language of that culture. And unless they do that, there's no way to share the gospel in that culture. So let me spend a little bit of time just giving you briefly uh, transgender thinking and language. Now, here's the first most basic thing you need to know. The movement believes a person's sex and gender can be different. This was first proposed by a man named Harry Benjamin. Harry Benjamin is the, the father of the modern transgender movement in America, beginning in the 60s. And he would say that someone's sex is a biological reality, but one's gender is a psychological reality, and they can be very different. He was famous for saying you can be one sex below the belt line and a different gender above the belt line referring to your mind. And this is what the modern transgender movement thinks. I know that's very foreign to you and to me, but that is a bifurcation that they believe is true. So this is how you can have, say, somebody who says, I'm actually a woman trapped in a man's body. Next thing you need to understand is some of the language. That's gender dysphoria. That's the medical term for someone whose psychological and biological gender do not match. So if you go to the uh, APA, American Psychological Association, they won't use the term transgender. It'll be gender dysphoria, where there's a mismatch. So you need to be familiar with that term. Another term out there you'll hear is cisgender. It's the term used by, in transgender culture to describe someone whose biological and psychological gender actually do match. Now, the term cisgender was actually created by transgender activists, and the reason it was created is because before that term was invented, it was either, do you have a, are you normal or are you abnormal? And the language sort of implies that one's right and one's wrong. Are you normal and your biological and psychological gender match, or are you abnormal and are they mismatched? And so what they did is they created these new terms to make it seem more neutral. Are you cisgender or transgender? So that's where this language comes from. Another one you need to know is gender binary. These are the terms used by the transgender culture for those who believe there are only two genders. The transgender culture believes that gender is not male or female, it actually occurs on a spectrum. You can be a whole different variety of kinds of genders, and you can be gender neutral and not even have a gender, which is why when you go to Facebook right now, you can choose between 71 different types of genders. But, you know, gender binary is somebody who believes you have one or the other, male or female. Gender fluid. This is a person who actually believes they can change their gender on a regular basis. Somebody who says, on Monday I'm male, on Tuesday I'm female, and Wednesday I don't know what I am. That's gender fluid, and this is, you'll hear that term thrown around in this, in this discussion. Uh, some more. Genderists and transphobia. These are the terms used in the transgender culture for those who, consider the, who, are, who are considered gender racists and those who do not embrace transgender values and lifestyle. 
So if you do not believe in the transgender culture, you are a gender racist, a genderist. Or if you um, do not agree with it, they'll say you're guilty of transphobia, irrational fear of transgender people because you're not buying into their beliefs and, and their value system. Now, the material I've studied on this, and by the way, I've studied many books on this. I've read many books, probably too many because I had vacation. But, uh, but they will very clearly claim those who hold to Judeo-Christian values as the reason for so many transgender people uh, attempting suicide because they do not feel loved and accepted in modern American society because too many people hold to Judeo-Christian values. Now, how many transgender people uh, attempt suicide? Depends on the study you look at. It ranges between 31 to 50% of those who identify transgender will attempt suicide because they say they do not feel accepted and embraced and loved in modern culture. So that's a little bit of the, uh, the glossary of terms, a little bit of the understanding and the background. Let's continue. What does the medical community think of gender dysphoria? The American Psychological Association has a, a book called The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders. You probably know what I'm talking about, the DSM, right? Okay, then he's going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, the first edition of the DSM that came out in 1952 labeled homosexuality as well as transgender and transvestite as sexual deviancies. Very clearly, uh, heterosexual marriage was considered normal. But as you get into the late 60s and early 70s, there was tremendous pressure on the medical community, primarily put there by the homosexual community, to make homosexuality be considered normal. So in what is the 1974 edition of the DSM, the new version came out and it removed homosexuality as a sexual deviancy in that medical manual, even though it was there before. Now, the pressure from the LGBTQ community continued. It sort of abated for a while, but it picked up in, in the early part of the, whoopsie, in the early part of 2000, and in the 2013 edition of the DSM, it removed transgender as a sexual deviancy. Now, you may say, okay, so what was it that the medical community discovered, or what did they learn? that they now have decided to remove homosexuality as a mental disorder and a sexual deviancy and transgender and gender dysphoria as a sexual deviancy. What new information was there? Zero. It was all politics. It was all pressure. It was all threats. I mean, there's almost a whole other message on the story behind the pressure that was put on the medical community to remove those as sexual deviancies in the DSM manual, so they would be considered normal in society. In fact, right now, this has come so full circle that if a psychologist is seeing a, a young man who's struggling with gender dysphoria, he's, a, he's biologically a male, but he's struggling and thinking he may be psychologically a female, if he tries to bring his psychological identity in line with his biological identity, he can lose his practice. But if that same psychologist 
gives that young man puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones to change his biological identity, to be more in line with his psychological identity, that's considered fine. That is how much this has changed since 2013. So I tell you that the world is really changing right around us here. So let's look now at the Bible. What does the Bible say about transgender? Allison Roberts is the first um, transgender Baptist pastor in America. Allison was actually born as Daniel Roberts. Daniel Roberts attended West Point. Daniel Roberts married, had four children, pastored Baptist churches in Texas, but while attending Baylor University from the year t- years 2004 through 2007, Daniel Roberts decided to identify as a woman and transition to become Allison Roberts. Now, in the interviews, is when he transitioned, he openly says that to do that, he had to jettison much of what the Bible says, and he no longer believes it. So, what does the Bible say on some of these things? Uh, let's look at it. First thing we see is this. God created us with a body and a soul that are unified. Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The Bible says that we have a soul and we have a body, but our soul and body are connected at every part. The Bible never speaks about God making a mistake and going, Oh no, I put the wrong soul in the wrong body. I messed up. Now, in church history, I will admit, there are times where there's been some beliefs where people thought that the body was bad and the soul was good, and you've probably heard of Gnosticism and Platonism and those kind of things where you could do what you want with your body, but your soul, that was what really mattered. But every single time, the the church has condemned that as heresy because the Bible says that God created both our soul and our body, and our soul and our body are good, and they are knit together. And by the way, the Bible also clearly says that in the resurrection, it is the very self-same body that you have, that you lived in, that you died with, that will be resurrected back to life. Just like Jesus' self-same body will be resurrected back to life you will not be resurrected back to life with a different gender. Everybody will keep the same gender because God doesn't make a mistake when He puts a soul in a body. Now, I know there are times where all of us have those things where we we don't like our bodies. Maybe there's times you didn't even like your gender. I remember when I was in junior high, just to be really transparent with you, I didn't like my body. I was like, God, why am I so tall? Why am I so skinny? Why am I not more athletic? Why am I not smarter like some of my friends? I wish I was somebody different. But I was going to tell you, you know, I was in junior high and I was praying about that, and I was really wrestling with not liking who God made me to be, and I can very clearly remember God telling me something. And it was this. I'm God. I don't make mistakes. And I made you. 
I made you just the way I wanted you to be to accomplish the work I've given you to do. I made you with the right body you need to accomplish that work. I made you with enough smarts that you need to accomplish that work. I gave you the specific gender I gave you to accomplish that work. I didn't make a mistake. I made you just the way I wanted you to be to accomplish the work you've given me to do. Now I wish, I wish there was some way that I could take the transgender world who is saying, well, I think God made a mistake and put the wrong soul in my, in my body and say, no, he didn't. He made you just the way he wanted you to be to accomplish the work he's given you to do. Next thing we need to know from the Bible, God only made two genders, male and female. The Bible says this, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The transgender culture believes that gender is just a cultural accident. It's just something we've culturally developed. But the Bible is extremely clear that God made two genders, and only two genders. And actually, the gender God gave you helps determine what is God's will, purpose, and direction for your life realize that? Like, I know it's not God's will that I'm a mother. I don't have a uterus. It's not possible. In Genesis chapter 2, what do we read this? It's not good for man to be alone, so a helpmate suitable to him was made for him and from him. So a wife is created and given to a husband to be his helpmate, because ladies, doesn't he need one? Exactly, yeah. And the guys are like, yeah, I know. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, what do we see? A husband's job in marriage, according to his gender, is to love his wife like Christ loved the church. He sacrifices his life for her, like Christ sacrificed his life for the church. And a wife's job in marriage, according to her gender, is to honor and love her husband like the church honors and loves Christ. You see how our God-given gender defines our God-given role in this life. If you're a husband, you are to lay your life down in love for your wife. That's given to you by your gender and the role you have as a husband in marriage. The same with a wife is to um, be her help, husband's helpmate. Next thing, sin gives us sinful desires. Romans 5.12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, when sin came into the world, death came into the world, but sin didn't just bring death. Sin affects people psychologically, so they desire what is sinful. Isn't that true? First thing, first brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain disabled Abel. He killed him. Where did that come from? Sin that affects the mind. The Bible is very clear that sin affects our minds, it affects our thinkings, and sin affects even our sexual desires. So we don't always want sexually what is right, wholesome, good, and true. Look what Romans chapter 1 says. 
because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So Paul says when people worship the creation rather than the creator, one of the ways that sin shows up is they end up with twisted sexual desires where men are consumed with lust for other men, women are consumed with lust for other women. And by the way, those twisted sexual desires involve men wanting to become women, women wanting to become men. It's all part of sin in this world. It also says this, the Bible tells us gender-appropriate distinctions must be maintained. Deuteronomy 22.5, a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. In other words, in the Old Testament, it clearly forbids cross-dressing, that if you're a man that is conducting yourself like a woman, portraying yourself like a woman, dressing like a woman, what that is saying is you are rejecting at the most fundamental level what is God's will for your life based on your gender. You're not being a man. You're trying to act like a woman. And a woman who's trying to act like a man, she is rejecting the most fundamental role of God's will for her life, which is her gender. And by the way, this is not a small thing. It says this is an abomination to the Lord, like particularly abhorrent to the Lord when a man tries to act like a woman. We see similar things being taught in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 11, 4 through 7. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it's disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. You're going like, what? That's a difficult passage. Yes, it is. And I'm not going to get into all the details of first century head coverings and first century hair length. I'm just going to keep this at the top level here. What Paul is saying is in church, men should look like men and conduct themselves that way. And women should look like women and they should conduct themselves that way. Now, the specific details of what women look like in church in the first century Corinth and modern America are a little different. I can agree with that. But the principle remains the same, doesn't it? In church... God wants men to be men and women to be women. Here's another point. The Bible views any mutilation of the genitals with great negativity. Let's flip over here. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, notice it doesn't say how this happened. This could have happened because someone chose that 
or it could have happened when somebody didn't choose that. Either way, a man who does not possess his full manhood was not to enter the temple because God wants men to be men in his house. Now you say, well, give me some background. I'm lost. In the ancient world, when kings conquered people, they would often take the best and the brightest men in that culture, they would have them work for the king, and they typically castrated them. That way they're pretty safe around the queen and other women. For instance, Daniel, who wrote the book of Daniel, was most likely castrated when he worked for Nebuchadnezzar. But in the ancient world, there were also men who castrated themselves willingly. If you go to Egypt and you look at the worship of Ishtar, that was a feminine goddess, and men sometimes willingly castrated themselves in that. If you go to the New Testament times in Rome, you look at the worships of Sybil, and that was another time where men sometimes castrated themselves willingly as part of that worship. And the text says here, it doesn't matter if this was done to you against your will, like Daniel would have been, or in your will. If you're a man, you need to possess your full manhood to be in the house of God. So all I'm trying to say is any mutilation of a man's manhood is something the Bible views with great negativity, not positivity. Another thing to point out, the Bible forbids both masculine and feminine forms of homosexuality. Typically, transgender, those who are struggling with this, don't just desire to look like the other sex. They also desire to, so to speak, become as much as possible the other sex. And whether you realize this or not, they often desire to play the role of the other sex in a sexual encounter. If you study homosexuality, you'll find that in homosexual relationships, one person is typically functioning in a masculine role, another person is typically functioning in a very feminine role. Now, the Bible has some very interesting things here. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, then it goes on to the end, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you're using a good translation, like the ESV and other translations, you'll see a little footnote there. And it says, men who practice homosexuality is actually translating two different Greek words for homosexuality. One of those Greek words talks about the man who functions in a male role in a homosexual relationship. The other Greek word talks about a man who functions in a woman's role in a homosexual relationship. Being very clear, it doesn't matter what role you're functioning in in a homosexual relationship. If you're in a homosexual relationship and you're celebrating that and practicing that, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Very clear. Now, a transgender man who is trying to function as a woman is fitting that very much so. They're a man trying to function in a woman's role in a homosexual relationship, which this text specifically says will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the Bible's clear on this. Now, let's look at some of the science. I told you that was the third major area we'd look at. Are people born transgender? 
2017, in the Super Bowl, Lady Gaga sung one of her famous songs from 2011. The song is titled, Born This Way. Maybe you've heard it before. And she says, it doesn't matter if you're gay, straight, bi, or transgender. Then she goes on and say, we're just born this way. And that's what the modern transgender movement wants us to believe. That people are born with transgender desires, like they're born with brown eyes or blue eyes. Or they're born with blonde hair or brown hair. It's not their fault. Is that true? Is there such thing as a transgender gene? And is it people are just born this way? I want you to know, the answer to that from a scientific basis is clearly no. There is no such thing as a transgender gene. Let me show you some of the arguments that have gone to disprove this. Uh, one of the things you'll often hear is something called the prenatal hormone theory. Chaz Bono, who's a transgender man, sort of explains it this way. I think of it as hormones that, you know, went in the brain but not in the body. And that's all being transgender is. It's just the sex of your body and the gender of your brain don't match up. Now, according to the transgender or the prenatal hormone theory, what happens is a baby in the uterus, somehow um, hormones of the opposite gender wash over the brain and sexualize the brain in a different direction than the gender of the body. And so you'll hear this prenatal hormone theory being talked about all the time. Well, it's a theory. And there's been studies attempting to prove it. Like there was one study that attempted to prove it in Sweden in 2005, and it failed. Another one in Australia in 2009, and it failed. Japan in 2009, it failed. Spain in 2014. Every single time, the prenatal hormone theory has been disproven. There's not a single scientific study that has demonstrated it's true. But you'll often hear it in the transgender culture as if it's absolute scientific fact. And it's not. Another example, family studies. If transgender is something that is inherited, you would find then people in the same family, uh, they would all be like transgender or a bunch of them would be transgender. If it's all inherited from your mom and your dad, well, there was a study that was done in 2010, uh, and it looked at 1,000 transgender individuals. How many of those 1,000 transgender individuals do you think had a brother or sister who was also struggling with transgender desires? Make a guess. 1,000 individuals. What do you think? Zero? Well, that was a little bit. Twelve. Twelve. Now, here's where it's interesting. What we have discovered is that transgender desires often have a lot to do with your upbringing. Like if you were sexually abused, and if you were psychologically abused as a child, typically those people struggle with transgender desires as a young adult or later in life. But if you have the same household, you usually have more than one child in that household being psychologically and sexually abused. I'll give you another one called twin studies. Twins are identical twins are genetically identical. So what you would find is if twins are genetically identical and transgender desire is genetically through a gene, you would have both twins would turn out to be transgender. There was a study that was done in 2012 
examined 23 twins. It was discovered that of those 23 twins, only nine of them, the other identical twin, struggled with transgender desires. Now, at first you may say, well, that's a high number. It is genetically identical people. If it was genetically passed, it would be 23 out of 23, not 9 out of 23. And as I just told you, the best studies will tell you that those who struggle with transgender desires have been psychologically and sexually abused in the home as a young child. Those twins grew up in the same home with the same parents, most likely experiencing the same psychological and sexual abuse as children. So very clearly, it is not genetically passed. What do we know about transgender desires in children? This is very important because you guys have a lot of children in this campus. You need to know it is not uncommon for young children at times to, to wonder if you know a boy thinks maybe I'm a girl or a girl thinks maybe I'm a boy when they're very young. It's not uncommon to have that happen for brief periods of time. Now, today, what we're told, and the medical doctors will say, that if your children um, have some of those confusion issues, what we do is we put them on puberty blockers. And then, when they're old enough, they can decide for themselves whether they'd like to be a man or they'd like to be a woman. Well, that's not a good deal. I was checking the websites before I delivered the sermon. It very clearly says on the websites that puberty blockers are harmless to children. That is not true. Let's just do this little mental side to you. I don't, I don't want to just quote all the statistics, but I could, but let's give you some mental thinking on this. Take an adolescent male who is going through puberty, and he's, and he's young and he's growing. And the testosterone in his system helps him grow taller, Testosterone in his system actually thickens his bones. The testosterone in his system actually affects the way his brain matures and develops. But take that same adolescent male and put him on puberty blockers. While he is growing, he will not be as tall. And going into puberty later after he goes off puberty blockers will not make him tall later. His bones will not be as thick. And understand this, his brain will have developed differently because it didn't have testosterone. And introducing it to testosterone later will not change or fix his brain. Specifically, the research I ran across says a male who is put on puberty blockers will have difficulty with abstract and complex tasks because he didn't have testosterone in his system while he was developing. Puberty blockers make a kid dumber. <laughs> Literally. So it is not a neutral thing. Here's the other thing you need to know. That if a child who struggles with gender dysphoria is allowed to go through puberty normally, depending on which studies you look at, between 75 to 90% of them will have their gender dysphoria go away if they just simply go through puberty normally. But if a child is put on puberty blockers, it's almost 100% guaranteed they will continue in their gender dysphoria into adulthood and desire to, produce sex, desire to pursue sex change surgery. Uh, now, so puberty blockers are not neutral. You need to know that. Now, here's another question. Is sex change surgery the answer for those who struggle with gender dysphoria? 
uh, WPATH, which is the World Association for Transgender Health, says that sex change surgery is essential for a number of people who struggle with gender dysphoria, and sex change surgery will finally relieve their issues of gender dysphoria. That is not true. Definitely not true. Sex change surgery, number one, is false advertising. Nobody's changing their sex. You either have XX in all the chromosomes of your cell or XY in all the chromosomes of your cell. All that surgery does is make a man look more like a woman or a woman look more like a man. You can't change who you are. In fact, Harry Benjamin, who, as I told you earlier, the founder of uh, transgender and sex change surgery in America from the 60s, has said this. These persons, in a strict scientific sense, are only fooling themselves. No change of sex is ever possible. Now, let's look at some of the other statistics. And by the way, I have all of this documented with footnotes in my manuscript. So if you want to see all the footnotes for these things, I'd gladly give you my manuscript. It doesn't fit on a sermon handout. 31% of Americans who that commit suicide are transsexual. Between 30 to 50% of transgender patients commit suicide either in the year before or their year after their sex change surgery. Up to 90% of those who undergo sex change surgery cannot be found in the years after the surgery. And the reason is that sex change surgery cannot resolve underlying, or underlying psychological issues in a person's mind. Isn't that true? If people are struggling psychologically, changing their body physically doesn't fix what's going on up here. And here's another one for you. Is sex change surgery even medically ethical? This is more of a thought experiment for you, and I know, Steve, you're going to like this one. But say a, a young man in his 20s come, comes into the doctor and he says, you know, I'm an Iraqi war veteran and I had a leg of mine blown off when I stepped on a landmine. The doctor looks at him and is like, you're in your 20s. You weren't even old enough to be in the Iraq war. And you have two completely healthy legs. You are very delusional. Like, you're way out there. You're not an Iraqi war veteran who's missing a limb. But then the young man says to the doctor, I need you to do surgery. I need you to cut off my leg so it can conform to what I believe is true about myself and my mind. The doctor would go, uh-uh. And if he was to cut off that man's leg, he would lose his license and most likely be in jail, wouldn't he? But isn't the exact same thing what's happening today in the transgender movement? Young men are walking into a doctor's office and they're saying, huh, I'm actually a woman. In fact, uh, I need you, doctor, to perform a surgery to cut off a completely healthy part of my body so it can conform to the mistaken delusional beliefs in my mind. And the doctor performs the surgery and is considered normal when he does it. Do you understand how backwards this all is? Another point. Our feelings are a reliable guide to tell us the truth. The Bible says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The Bible tells us that just because we believe something is true in our heart doesn't mean it is actually true in reality. 
We need something that stands outside of us, like the Scriptures, to tell us the truth. Because we can quickly talk ourselves into believing something is true when it isn't actually true. And here's a couple thoughts for you. What we allow ourselves to think in our thought life quickly becomes what we believe is true in real life. Isn't that true? Think about that. Let's look at your own mind. What we allow ourselves to fantasize about today becomes the choices that we make tomorrow. Isn't that true? I'll give you a little bit of information. And I know that I've mentioned earlier that those who struggle with transgender desires, sometimes it's because as young children, they were sexually and psychologically abused in their home. That's a very common thing. But other times people struggle with transgender desires as a result of sin that they have pursued in their adult lives. And it's come to that point. Now you say, what does this mean? I'm just going to be real candid and tell you something that happened two years ago to me in Spirit Lake. I finished preaching, I came down, I went out into the foyer, and there was a person I hadn't seen there for years. It was my wife's girlfriend from her 20s, you know, the two besties that hung out when they were single. And uh, my wife had met me, and we married, we had three children. This lady met a man, she married him, and they also had three children. We hadn't seen each other, like, since we were in our 20s. And here all of a sudden, she was showing up in Spirit Lake, Iowa, and we're like, hey, you got to come over and, you know, come over to our house for lunch and here. And she tells us the story. You know, her husband um, a few years before had started looking at porn on the Internet. And that became not just heterosexual porn, and that became homosexual porn. And as part of the homosexual porn, he started looking at different things that were transgender. And... Um, he eventually said to his wife, you know, I want to dress as a woman. She's like, what? And he started portraying himself as a woman. And then he started taking cross-sex hormones to change himself to a woman. And about a month and a half before she had shown up in the Spirit Lake campus, he had told his wife that he was planning on having the surgery to uh, completely change his body to become a woman. And she said, that's enough. And she divorced him, and she walked out with him and took the three kids. And she said, because I have preached on this topic before, and she had actually looked it up online, and she had listened to the message, and she said, you know exactly what happened to him is he would not control his thought life. What he kept looking at on the Internet became addicted to, and he convinced himself in his mind of a reality that was never true when we got married, that he was convinced himself he was a woman trapped in a man's body, and he left behind his wife and his children. Folks, it is so incredibly important we guard our thought life, that we don't drink in all the foul junk on the Internet. Very careful. What does it say here? I put down here, we destroy every argument and every lofty pretension against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive into obedience to Christ because we can so quickly lie to ourselves and assume the reality is true of something that is completely false. Uh, let me move quickly here. How do transgender activists view the family? I just want to put this quote for you. Parents are some of the largest obstacles that stand in the way of transgender kids being able to be their true selves. They will very clearly say that parents are the enemy. Transgender activists will shame parents 
mercilessly. And I need to tell you this. They will go so far as to try and remove your children from your home. You say, that's not true. Anna Marie Cargo in Minneapolis, her son was struggling with transgender desires, and she refused to let him go on cross-sex hormones. And transgender activists worked to actually declare him an emancipated minor out of his home at age 15 so he could go through cross-sex hormones when his mother refused to allow him do it. And that's the honest truth background. Now, I need to do some pastoral sides. What do we do about this? First question, what should I do if my son or daughter struggles with gender dysphoria? Number one, show unconditional love if your child is struggling with these difficult feelings. If your child struggles with these things, the first emotional reaction is to push them away from you. But I have to tell you, if you push them away, there are plenty of transgender activists who are ready to pull them in. Jesus loved us when we were still sinners. We must love our children when they're struggling with sin. Now, this doesn't mean we accept or encourage transgender desires, but we love them lavishly. And no matter what happens, we don't let our love for them wane. Secondly, teach what the Bible says about God's gift of gender to our children, especially when they are young. Now, I never had to teach this to my children. I probably should have. But now, through social media, our kids are being exposed to all kinds of sick and twisted desires in a very young age. We have to teach them God's gift of gender, that God made them just the way He wanted them to be. He didn't make a single mistake when He made them, and He gave them the gifts, the body, and the gender they need to accomplish the task that God has given them in life. We need to teach that so the world doesn't teach them a lie. Uh, next, expect strong criticism from a modern culture for holding biblical truth about gender sexuality and say firm no to any form of puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, or gender reassignment surgery. What should I do if a friend tells me they are experiencing feelings of gender dysphoria? It's often easy to say, oh, that last time I talked to you. <laughs> Don't. Love them. Ask questions. How did you come to this point? Maintain a relationship with them. The only way that there's hope for them is through Jesus Christ. And the only way we can share the Bible with them is if we maintain them and love them in that relationship. <coughs> it doesn't mean we agree with them, but we have to keep that relationship. How should the church respond to <coughs> gender dysphoria? Remember, there's a difference between someone who experiences feelings of gender dysphoria and someone that's embracing and celebrating transgender identity. If any sin, there's a difference between someone who's struggling with their sin and someone who's celebrating their sin. Understand that difference. While there's no evidence for a transgender gene, remember that there are many psychological and sociological factors that contribute to this struggle, especially if you look back into someone's childhood. And also, those with gender dysphoria are searching for a new identity that only Jesus can give. Folks, when sin is the problem, Jesus is the only answer. And that's our only hope. Let me tell you one final short true story. 
there was a woman named Laura. Laura uh, was curvy and turned heads whenever she walked into a room. Very beautiful woman. And one day she was talking to her counselor, and uh, she asked, where can I find a church? And the counselor sent her to a church, but most churches, when they learned her secret, they pushed her away. But one church didn't. One church stuck with her. One church actually had a group of 30 people that came around her and prayed with her. And Laura gave her life to Jesus Christ because Laura was actually Walt. Walt had struggled with transgender desires for years. Walt became a Christian. And today, he runs the largest website. It's called sexchangeregret.com to say the truth about transgender movement and how Jesus is the only answer. That God didn't make a mistake in their first birth. But people desperately need a new birth through Jesus Christ, and He's the only answer. Heavenly Father, thank You for the chance to be able to teach on this. Thank You for the patience of this campus, as I know I went long. Uh, but I pray that what we've learned about this movement in our culture will help us love and, and reach these people who so desperately need Jesus. And that may we know the truth, because the truth is what sets us free. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.